Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Sometimes the darkness allows people to be free. Free from the constraints of society. Free from judgment and free from morality. But in this freedom, a beast lies within us. A beast no longer constrained by the waking world. It is in the freedom of the night that our true horror shines. One such horror is necrophilia. A necrophile is a person who is sexually attracted to the dead. But why do some people only find love in the beyond? I'm Adam O'Reilly and this is the Mind Poppers podcast. Yes, come on, we love a monologue here. <laughs> in keeping with, you know, some of our spookier episodes that, I'm, that we're doing throughout October on Mind Poppers podcast. And, you know, everything that we do is a little bit of, of you know, in the darker side, isn't it? But I wanted to find things f- for throughout the month of October to celebrate because this is really what we're all about, really, is the macabre um, and just the real nasty things that go on in humanity. So one of these instances is, of course, necrophilia, you know? Um, and why are people attracted to having sex with dead bodies? You know, why are people sexually attracted to corpses? You know, there's a lot of studies done into necrophilia and necrophiles, um, but we don't have a lot of sure answers. Now, a lot of um, researchers that have done work and published in the area of necrophilia, you know, according to one study, it said that 68% were motivated by desire for a non-resisting and non-rejecting partner. So it seems that in the world of necrophilia, a big turn on for a lot of these necrophiles is, you know, the prospect of having, you know, sex with, uh, you know, in quotations, a partner, um, you know, who they have total control over um, and are, are, are completely complicit to the sexual needs of the necrophile. Now, they also go on to say that 21% were motivated by the want for a reunion with a lost partner. So I guess if you were having sex with, you know, a dead loved one. And then 15% were motivated by the literal attraction to the dead. And you know what? While it may sound like bizarre and crazy, I mean, necrophilia in, in you know, some contexts has been really glorified, you know, throughout the ages, you know, especially in pop culture, look no further than the Twilight Saga, you know, because obviously we were presented with what? Vampires who were, you know, essentially the undead, which shared a lot of characteristics similar to that of a corpse. You know, Edward Cullen is described, you know, he's this pasty white, this alabaster white, um, you know, kind of, 
very dead eyes described as soulless you know icy cold to the touch like a corpse um and you know hard as marble he's described he is hard as marble you know and who didn't want to fuck the the entire twilight cast you know we all wanted to fuck the entire twilight cast absolutely um so you you can see you know that we have been in this world or subjected to this world where you know we wanna you know i mean i for one i, I mean look i can't speak for all of you guys listening at home i certainly wanted to fuck everyone in the twilight cast Every single person I want. You know what? I I didn't really want to have sex with Kirsten Stewart all that much until she became a vampire. You know, towards the end of that saga. When she was a vampire, I was like, for sure. For sure. I'd give her one of these, you know? So I do. Like, there is some appeal to death and the darkness. And I guess for some people, that literally ties in with their sexual drive, you know? Um, what I do want to talk about for our first mind popper of the necrophilia world is I want to present to you five of the most renowned cases of necrophilia that have been documented, you know, um, and trigger warning. Okay. If you're, you know, if you're that way, if you need a trigger warning, then we're going to be talking about death, violence, murder, sex, sex, sex and violence. Um, All of the good stuff. All of the good stuff. So just be warned. The first case I want to talk to you is about 18-year-old Alyssa Massaro. On January 10th, 2013, Alyssa Massaro was 18 at the time and her boyfriend, Joshua Minor, 24, plotted a homicidal party with two friends, Bethany McKee and Adam Landerman which would be dubbed as the Nightmare on Hickory Street. Mazzaro expressed her necrophilia fetish to her boyfriend years prior. The four friends invited only two other guests to their party and strangled them to death for cash and jugs. Drugs. (laughs) The jugs would come much later on. McKee left the scene, but the remaining three placed a sheet over the dead bodies and had a menage à trois on top of them. Now, for those of you uncultured and not familiar with the French language, a menage à trois is a threesome. So basically what they had done was they had four friends, okay, four friends invited this other two, this two others over for a party, okay, I guess a sex party. Um, so maybe it was like a kind of like a little swingers thing. Ended up strangling these two guests to the party and robbed them for cash and drugs. Or at least it was under the guise of we were robbing them from uh, for cash and drugs. Because the boyfriend actually knew that his girlfriend had this fetish for necrophilia for having sex with the dead. So maybe something more sinister was in place, you know? certainly was I mean I just said that they had a threesome on top of the dead bodies they put a sheet on top of the dead bodies and had sex on top of them okay don't anybody say that's hot that's hot Minor was accused of being the mastermind behind the plan to help fulfill his girlfriend's necrophilic intentions unfortunately for them only $120 was found on the victims and their families reported them missing after a few days the police found the accused playing video games on top of the corpses. Corpses? 
and appeared surprised that they were caught. There was no evidence found that the bodies were sexually assaulted post-death. Massaro received a plea deal of 10 years in prison if she testified against all others accused. So Minor, McKee and Landerman were all sentenced to life in prison. You know, like one thing if you are into necrophilia, like whatever, who are we to judge? We're a very open community here. But one thing we don't tolerate on the Mind Poppers podcast is rats. No rats. Stitches get snitches. Oh my God, what is wrong? What the fuck is wrong with me today? <laughs> Snitches get snitches. What? I did it again. <laughs> snitches get stitches. Okay. And I said what I said. Would you be willing to murder for your lover? You know, what would you do if you found out that your significant other had this insatiable fetish, insatiable thirst for having sex with the dead. You know, could you accommodate them? You know, I don't think I could. Now, as for case number two in our look into necrophilia, we visit the case of Edmund Kemper. Edmund Kemper III was a necrophile known as the co-ed killer. At 24, he was found guilty of the murders of six female students, his mother and his mother's best friend. At the age of 15, Kemper had a history of kills, including the murder of his abusive grandmother. Kemper also murdered his grandfather because he feared he would be upset about the death of his grandmother. Okay, fair. Kemper picked up female students who were hitchhiking along the highway between May of 1972 until February of 1973. He took them to rural areas where he dismembered their bodies and had sex with their corpses. He collected their decapitated heads and would have sex with them at home. Ultimately, Kemper wanted to kill his abusive mother, whom he despised. He claw-hammered his mother and strangled her best friend on Good Friday in 1973. He then calmly called the police to confess his crime, but not before having sex with his mother's decapitated head. Oh my god! You know, Freud, you know, remember we, we talk about this a lot, the whole Electra complex and the Oedipus complex about wanting to have sex with your mother and all that. This takes it to a whole new level. Well, having sex with his mother's decapitated head, you know? That is not hot. It's not hot at all. Now, when I'm saying that, like, I had the image of, like, someone having sex with my decapitated head and... You know what? I didn't really know how to feel about that. I was kind of like, mm, you know, what am I feeling? What is that? The police refused to believe him as he was a common figure at a local police hangout bar called the Jewelry Room. Well, the pigs look after their own. You know, we've been knew that. Kemper finally convinced the police that he was the co-ed killer after many follow-up calls and providing actual evidence. Kemper was found guilty on eight counts of murder of the first degree and was given a life sentence. And you can actually go on to, I think it's, maybe not eBay, maybe Etsy, and you can buy Valentine's Day cards that he actually made, so you can go and bid on them, I guess, you know, if you're so inclined. As for case number three... It is Anthony Merino, who, by all accounts, was a hottie. In 2007, Anthony Merino, 24, worked as a lab technician at Holy Name Hospital in Tanak, New Jersey. 
He was found sexually desecrating a 92-year-old woman's dead body inside the morgue of the hospital. Details about the woman and how long she had been dead were not released. Marino was sentenced to seven years in prison. Rumours of his now defunct MySpace page stated he worked as a histiantician. Histology is the microscopic study of biological tissues and involves the section of abnormalities and thin slices of humans and animal tissue. The most peculiar rumour on Marino's MySpace is a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. What lies behind us and what lies before us are small matters compared to what lies within us, you know, and which is quite apt because, you know, like I just described you, Anthony Marino, 24 years of age, is by all accounts a hottie, you know? And like I said, like we did an episode on the Mind Poppers before about how we, about how we judge beautiful people and we judge them as it turns out far less harsher you know than you know I don't you know I don't use the word ugly here because everybody's beautiful to somebody but I guess someone who's not conventionally attractive you know um and Anthony Marino let me tell you is conventionally attractive he is a roid um I'm looking into his eyes right now because I have a picture of him in front of me I'm like oh my god (laughs) You, you're such a bad boy, you know, after he, you know, in quotations, desecrated a 90 year old woman's dead body. You know, it's, it is dangerous what beautiful people can do to us, you know, but look, he did what he did and that's on that. For the next case, we will talk about Karen Greenlee. Karen Greenlee, 22, worked as an apprentice embalmer at the Memorial Lawn Mortuary in Sacramento, California. Greenlee stole a hearse she was driving to a funeral on December 17th, 1979. Greenlee spent two days with a 33-year-old man's corpse before she tried to commit suicide by overdosing on codeine Tylenol. Found in her victim's casket was a five-page letter confessing she had slept with at least 20 to 40 dead men. Sounds like a feminist icon to me. Anyway, however, the police found Greenlee before she was left for dead. Greenlee was only convicted of stealing a hearse and had to pay a $255 fine with 11 days in jail since acts of necrophilia were not illegal in the state of California at the time. Now it's a felony. So I think necrophilia was, you know, all, you know, all daisy until I think in California, 2004 is when necrophilia became um, a felony but before when it became illegal to have sex with dead bodies now I'm sure pretty sure I think there's three states currently in the United States where it is not illegal to have sex with the dead you know now obviously other things can come up like you know you're breaking and entering and that kind of shit but the actual act of having sex with the dead is is not illegal in, in a couple of states in the United States Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mm. Greenlee continued to work in mortuaries, even during her trial, before she was sued by her victim's mother for $117,000 on account of emotional distress. So, like, this woman who claims, you know, herself claims in the note that she wrote, slept with at least 20 to 40 dead men. And she worked in the mortuary, obviously, which was her access to the dead. Um, And, I guess, she was still working in the mortuaries while the trial was going on, you know? As in, like, there was just no stopping this bitch. She saw what she wanted and she went for it. Um, Greenlee gave a detailed and remorseless interview about her fixation with necrophilia to Jim Morton for his book Apocalypse Culture. She later regretted the interview, so what she did basically was she opted, she left town and she changed her name. But the odds are, because, you know, she's not in jail, like I said, she got away with everything because it wasn't illegal at the time. So now she is, you know, likely to be still, you know, trotting about having sex with the dead in you know mortuaries you know it's not like she was banned from going to all mortuaries you know they gave her a slap on the wrist for stealing the hearse but it was all cool it was all good in the hood but having sex with the dead men you know and then of course you know we couldn't finish up talking about iconic cases maybe iconic isn't the word but what have you in in the world of necrophilia then everybody's favorite serial killer Ted Bundy and Ted Bundy obviously is one of the most notorious serial killers in American history he confessed to at least 36 murders during the 1970s but some believe it was it was more in the ballpark of about 100 Bundy put makeup on the corpses then had sex with them he often returned to the dead bodies to assault them repeatedly Bundy later later admitted he took home and had sexual relations with his victims decapitated heads his reason being that necrophilia was the ultimate form of passion Bundy's fiance Liz Klopfer confessed that she pretended to be dead during sex or else he could not have an orgasm one of the most fascinating little known facts about Ted Bundy is that he actually served as a consultant to the police during the Green River Killer case in 1984, which successfully helped identify the killer as Gary Ridgway. Bundy provided insight parallels to the homicide detective. I mean, of course, you know, he was going to have the better mind, the better insight into the mind of a serial killer than a serial killer. Now, from, from looking at these cases today, like, what is it about the decapitated heads? I mean, I suppose a head, the head of the person, the face of the person, really captures that person's essence, their personality, more so than, you know, if, if like, say, I was a necrophilia, and not only that, but I had, like, progressed to the stage of homicidal necrophilia, where I was actually going out and killing, you know, t- to have sex with these dead bodies. Um, you know, you're not going to be like necrophilia, like, oh, and like just saw off a booty hole, you know? You're... <laughs> you 
Like, you know, no one's doing that. No one is killing someone and, and sawing off their booty hole to go and have sex with, you know, because that could be anyone's booty hole. But I guess for these, for these killers, you know, having the head, it's the, the face, the essence of the personality, you know, being able to look into the eyes, the mouth. And I guess that is, that's the gig, you know, I guess. And I guess the head is more portable, isn't it? And, you know, not to go into too much vulgarity or, you know, I mean, I guess we've passed that point. But I guess just in terms of, you know, desecration of the corpse, you know, having sex with the head seems like the easiest option. Um, But, you know, one thing that did stick out, you know, one thing that stuck out to me was, you know, we talked about Bundy's uh, fiance and her saying that Ted could only orgasm during sex if she pretended to be dead. So what do you do in that in in that position where say you're with your partner, you know, someone who you think is your soulmate, the sun shines out of their bleeding hoop, you know, you can't imagine your life without them, you know, that kind of love that just consumes you when you make somebody your entire world and the thought of losing that person would mean that your entire world would just go up in flames. That kind of love. Uh, But that person then turns around to you and was like, look, I'm only going to be able to come if you pretend to be dead. You know, I mean, not like I personally think I could get on board with that, to be honest. Just not having to do nothing. I mean, fucking nothing. Do you know? And then you like have maybe like, I don't know, like Law and Order, you know, SUV, you know, playing on the flat screen on the wall behind, you know? So you can kind of have like one little eye, kind of like a little, a little creeped open, you know, as someone's hoofing it into you. That for me sounds amazing. <laughs> you know, I won't lie. Um, but it's weird, you know? What do you do in that? I guess the whole thing for me, I would have no problem playing dead. I wouldn't, you know? Um... But the thing is, the only, I guess one of the drawbacks for me is if I was playing dead, you know, and someone was having sex with me and that was their thing, whatever. But as long as they didn't touch my neck, I can play dead until I, until someone tries to touch my neck, you know, cause I, I, and you know what, in theory, on paper, I'm, I'm all about choking, you know, I'm a big choker, I guess a chokey. Um... But as soon as someone touches my neck, you know, I'm, they're like, I'm going to choke the shit out of you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, do it. Do it. Choke the fucking shit out of me. And as soon as their hand even comes in the, in the, in the near vicinity of my throat, I'm like, ah, eh, eh, no, don't, don't touch my neck. <laughs> you know, like pretty complete turtleneck. And I'm like Sally Five chins then, you know, when you know when someone's going for your neck and you try to retract your head back into the body like a turtle. And I guess flatulence, you know, which for you uneducated people is, you know, the fancy way of saying farting, you know, those are the two things that would, would really stop me from playing dead during sex. Sometimes I got it too and it just comes out, especially if you're going to be like moving me around and stuff, air bubbles will flow out of my bottom hole. Um, and the touching the neck thing, obviously a no go. And you know, a little fun fact about, um, necrophilia before we move on to the next mind popper. Um, necrophilia actually does occur within the animal kingdom as well so again it's not just humans that are fucked up and it happens in all the animals that you don't want it to happen in like I'm sorry I, I don't know for a fact if it happens with dogs but I, I mean dogs will they'll fuck anything won't they um but ducks um kangaroos will engage in necrophilia and actually interesting thing there is a certain type of toad that 
also engages in necrophilia. But it's actually weird because what it does is it will obviously, a male, will press itself down on a dead female toad, okay? And again, I suppose you've... Oh my god, I'm having I'm having a stroke. Someone called nine one one. But I guess the thing is, right? Since um, frogs, toads, they're cold blooded. You know, maybe it's like, is it hard to distinguish for a toad like cold dead and cold alive? Basically, the male toad will have sex right with this dead female. But before that, what they'll do is like press on their stomach with their little froggy paws um, and push the eggs to a certain place. You know, the eggs within the female. Um, so that when the male, when the male toad, you know, gets his rocks off and, you know, comes, um, then he would still impregnate the female toad, okay, who's dead, by the by, and those little frog babies or toad babies will grow up and become toads, you know? So having sex, so some toads will have sex with the dead female and then the dead female can still, you know, I'm sure it's not a give birth. I'm sure like, you know, there ain't no pushing. Like, I don't know if this bitch getting eaten from the inside out or what. I don't really know the, the whole gist of it. But there you have it. Like there are babies being born with only one alive parent. Now, how fucked up is that? Also, I guess another fun fact about necrophilia um, you know, what was observed, um, a, a lot in kind of, I guess, the Middle Ages, but I guess, and still, unfortunately, in a lot of places where, you know, p- hanging as a corporal punishment where people are hung, um, and certain trauma wounds to the head can result in a massive boner posthumous, so someone can be, have a rock hard erection, um, after death, you know, especially by hanging, and it's something to do with the, with the blood going down, I guess, to the, to the cock. Um, if you will. Now, a lot of people, I guess, will presume that, you know, like when someone dies and the corpse goes through rigor mortis, everything gets hard. Well, the penis doesn't get hard during rigor mortis, FYI, just in case any of you creepers have any ideas, you know, it, it, it won't work because um, the penis isn't, um, I don't think it's a muscle, so it's not going to go hard like you're not getting an erection unless you know someone unfortunately meets their faith you know via head trauma you know which can be like a gun to the head or hanging you know it's actually interesting there was a a painting of christ you know that had been long since hidden for hundreds of years by the catholic church which showed christ with a posthumous after he died showed him having one of these erections you know from being hung on the cross you know and look i'm not trying to be blasphemous here or anything but you know, that is just how it goes. Now, as for our next mind popper, and this one is a really interesting one. I was actually watching a documentary during the week um, um, on National Geographic about this Indonesian community, okay? And the very strange way in which they honour their dead, okay? So what happens in, in this, I guess it's like, uh, it's I guess it's remote enough um, and it's an Indonesian island called Sulawesi. Okay, apologies if I'm butchering that. Um, but basically, when one of their family members dies, they don't immediately, you know, I guess, with in terms of like the Western world and what we're accustomed to and, and our traditions or whatever, they don't like have the normal funeral ceremony that we have. I mean, like, how long is it here? Like, you know, presuming that no one's getting like a post-mortem or whatever. Like, I mean, what, your dad is in the ground in like three days? Um, 
But here, so it's kind of broken up to three class systems. So the poorer people on this Indonesian island, and you can watch this documentary, you know, I, I might leave a link to it. It is fucked up. But again, it's part of these people's culture. So it's only fucked up to us because it's not our norm. Um, so what happens, right? We'll take it in class structures. If say if we take the, the poor people, the middle class, and then the upper class of this island nation, the poor people will, after death, will keep their dead loved ones around with them in the house for weeks after death. Then the middle class will keep their dead loved ones with them in the house for months. And then the the richer people, I guess the upper class, will keep their dead with them for years. Okay. Now there's also kind of ritual like digging their loved ones up kind of every three years, whatever, which I'll get into. But and it's not like they, they're left in a casket or whatever. Like they dress they're dead. They dress the corpses every day. They wash them. They put sunglasses with them. They talk with them and all and all, and all that. Like can, can you and like you know they're like full out on display. They even leave the the corpses out in the sun to dry. Um, and what they do is they will have them. They have a special way of kind of I guess mummifying their corpses. Um, which is basically you know again like the the Egyptians did, um, which they kind of use different chemicals and tea leaves, you know, natural chemicals. But nowadays, a lot of them will just use like the regular formal, formaldehyde that, you know, the, the mortars would use. Um, but like, can you imagine, like you're seeing someone, okay? You're seeing someone and they're like, oh, look, before, you know, things go any further between us, it'd just be really important if you, you know, if you met my grandmother. And you're like, okay, for sure. You know, I will go and, and meet your grandmother and, and I'll play nice or whatever. So imagine, <clears throat> you know, this person brings you into their, their house. But like, okay, you know, come on up and meet grandmother. And he pushes open the door and you walk in. And you see some mummy, okay, who's been dead for years. And he's like, oh, say hi, to, say hi to grandma, you know. And you're like, say hi to grandma. I was like, there is a raccoon eating that bitch's pussy, you know? As in, like, how can I take that seriously? You know, but again, you know, not to make fun. Oh, I guess that's exactly what I just did. But that, but these are these people's culture, you know? That, that is just their traditional norms or whatever. Um, I mean, like I said, they do a, a ritual called Maneni. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm probably butchering that. I just, you know, haven't brushed up on my Indonesian in, in such a long time. Which usually kind of takes place after the August harvest, okay? So these deceased family members are unearthed and their graves are cleaned, right? And they parade these, the corpses around the place. Like, you guys would not believe. Like, you, you guys have to just go and watch this clip, watch this documentary. Like, basically, it's like skeletal remains, but still have, like, skin because they've been, you know, mummified and bammed, and they've teeth and eyelashes. They don't have eyes, like the eyeballs obviously rot, so they put sunglasses on them. And they would literally now, again, because like, it's like, it's like a bag of bones, you know? They're like, they stand them up against the walls and stuff. And it is just, oh my God, it is just so fucked up. I mean, to us, again, it, it is their customs, you know, and, you know, we absolutely respect that or whatever. Um, and so, like, they dig up the families or, like, if, you know, a lot of them 
because they don't keep them around forever, obviously. Like I said, the richest people will keep their loved ones around for years. Then they will go and do the funeral process or whatever. The funeral process is actually quite gruesome because when they're burying a bitch, they also sacrifice a buffalo. So big crowds gather around, loads of children, while some cunt with a machete hacks the head off a fucking buffalo. I mean, give me a motherfucking break, you know? Because apparently to these, to this culture, to these pe- people on the Indonesian island, the buffalo is the is the animal that will transport you to the to the other side, to the beyond or whatever. And without a buffalo sacrifice at your funeral, it will take you a much longer time to get to the afterlife, again, ac- according to these people's customs you know and there's about a million of these people who partake in this culture so can you imagine the amount of dead you know the amount of dead just on the street and you guys just have to see believe it they change the clothes of of these corpses um you know they're like painting their nails and brushing their teeth or whatever and i guess a part of this belief system for them is is that, you know, while granny, you know, an old raggedy bag of bones, you know, wearing her fucking Aless t-shirt, you know, and I got on any nose crots, you know, hide those trotters, you know. Um, but like, it's just, it's just so bizarre to me. And I guess the whole, the thought process behind it within the culture is that when they have their dead with them in their house or when they're like parading them around in the streets or whatever the whole thought process is that they're not dead they're sleeping you know so like they, they're sitting and talking to the loved one and I guess you know there is something I guess morbidly beautiful about the whole thing um but again like do I want to sit down and be talking to you know a bag of bones no I, I, I do not. You know, a mad thing is as well as when, you know, they're parading around their dead relatives. And like I said, it's not like one day parade, you know, and it's not like the day of the dead, like Dias Las Muertas. It is like for months at a time, they will bring the, their deceased family members around with them. Do you know? Um, it's actually mad when, when you watch, it, watch, watching this documentary, you know, they're making food for their deceased relatives. You know, they're making food for these mummies. And when you see them, they don't even look like mummies. Like, they look like they could almost still be alive and just, like, have, like, really bad skin. (laughs) But it's crazy. And they're taking selfies as well with the dead, you know? As like taking they're taking selfies with like the mummies and again like the mummies are like pressed up against a wall or whatever and like all dressed in clothes whatever like her Hawaiian floral shirts and stuff like getting in for fucking pictures like no no I look disgusting I look disgusting stuff <laughs> it's just mad but I guess that is what makes the world so flavorful because we have so many different variable spices with in it you know it's just god it's just not for me it's just not for me the whole keeping around the dead or whatever like even just from a sanitary point of view like it's just so bizarre but also so brilliant and and interesting but can you imagine like you're working in tesco and some cunt rocks in with their great-grandmother who is seven years dead sir i'm going to need you to take that bag of bones and Back it on up. Back it on up out of here. What I have described does not do it justice. There's a small clip from the documentary 
um, on YouTube, okay? So if you're interested in seeing this with your own eyes and believe me, when you see it, you won't believe it. Just go onto YouTube and the video is called Here, Living with Dead Bodies for Weeks or Years is Tradition. And it's the National Geographic. So search something along the lines and, and you will find it, you know? That is it from me in this week's episode of the Spooky Mind Poppers podcast. As always, I am your host, Adam O'Reilly. I will be back next Wednesday with a whole plateau of horrible little things for us to dissect. In the meantime, stay woke. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.